Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe that God, whoever does not believe, God has made him out to be a liar, because they do not believe the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we had asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to the sin that does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and given us understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Thanks. What a passage, hey? Well, you think what I was thinking is like, man, there's so many curly things in this passage. I'm glad I'm here today to find out the answer to that. Um, it is a good passage. Uh, we are getting to the end of a three-week series on life. How do we find real life? Uh, and this is kind of wrapping up. We've just dipped into 1 John. If you've been uh, with us going through the study books, we've tried to encourage over the the two weeks since we've been doing it, three Sundays, uh, to read through 1 John. What is he really telling us and what is this all about? We think 1 John is a good, um, a good way of summarising what it means to be a Christian, how radical that is, and what it means to be a church, for us all to think through that and for all of us to put that into practice. So I'm encouraging you as we've talked about church over the last three Sundays or even if you're here today and you're getting a bit of a vibe on what sort of church we are and what we're about um, 
to come and talk to me about membership <clears throat> because uh, you can come and kind of be a visitor, be new and get involved in things. That's all right. You don't have to be an official member to do any of uh, those things, to be serving, to be a part of our community. But if this is your church, to actually say, hey, <clears throat> I want to publicly say this is my church. Uh, I'm not just a visitor. I'm not just an outsider or helper. This is my church and this is the direction we're going and to do that formally. Uh, so talk to me about that later. Uh, to be a member, you just have to be above, uh, over 16 years of age. You have to be baptised, say publicly that Jesus is my Lord. And, um, and then we'll get you up the front just to say, hey, I'm a part of this church. So come and talk to me. We want to do that uh, in the next little while. Uh, so if you're thinking membership or what's the next step for me and my involvement here, uh, yeah, please take that opportunity uh, as we get to the end of this, this short series. I'm going to pray and then uh, we'll look at this uh, long and tricky passage. Dear Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you speak to us, that you give us your Holy Spirit that testifies to you. You give us your Holy Spirit to help us to understand your word, to understand who Jesus is, that you open our hard hearts, you open our blocked ears so we can draw near to you, to hear you and understand you. And we pray that you do that this morning as you promised, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I want to. Um, <clears throat> I want you to think about who this guy is. Um, if you've seen this photo before, you might know. But he's a famous Australian. <clears throat> See, this is uh, Australian history lesson this morning to kick us off. This guy uh, is a famous Australian. His work is put up in the Australian uh, National Gallery, uh, National Gallery of Australia, also another work in National Museum of Australia. He's even had his work hung up over the, the Australian Harbour Bridge. He also um, has had his life celebrated in other ways. Uh, the, he's had uh, his life turned into an opera and into a a movie. <clears throat> he's even got a, a theatre named after him. Although he's not an artist, he's never acted a day in his life, yet he's celebrated particularly in the city of Sydney. Why is he celebrated? Why is he so famous? Why are people making such a big deal about this guy? See, he was born uh, in the late 1800s, never went to school, uh, actually grew up working in a coal mine as a kid, by the age 15, he was an alcoholic and in jail. After he got out of jail, he worked in a two-up school. Yes, two-up was illegal in that day. Uh, he used to work uh, overseeing the school. <clears throat> Before he got a real job and worked uh, in his sister's brothel, uh, overseeing, you know, giving the heads up when he saw the police come. So he's kind of, what makes him so famous? You see, when he was 45 years of age, he wandered into a church and heard an, a, mess, a message that really pressed in on him. The preacher was talking about eternity and uh, challenging him about uh, where are you going to spend your eternity? That's not only a good question. Where are you going to spend eternity? But also how does that impact who you are now and what choices you're making now? And he soon realised he's got to get his act together. He's got to know this this. Uh, way how to get into eternity so he he heard about Jesus put his life in Jesus hand trusted in Jesus so he knew he had certain hope certain certainty of eternity in heaven with him a good future but it also impacted him on how he lived back then 
you know, now in his 50s, 60s, and even his 70s, he's still a worker. He would get up and he wanted to challenge everyone else to think about eternity. So he would uh, go around all the streets. Uh, this is, oops, this is him, the eternity man, he's often known as Arthur Stace. So he'd get up five o'clock in the morning before people had gone to work. He'd get up uh, with his chalk and he'd write eternity on all the footpaths he went around, all the popular places. Estimated he went around uh, and did this over the years, over half a million times, wrote eternity. So people on their way to work, nobody would ever see him. Nobody knew who was doing this. But on their way to work, on their way to the careers to make money, to, to climb the corporate ladders, they would be reminded, don't just think now, think eternity. Think about it. Now, the ironic thing is, he didn't want people to know about him. He just did it before he went to work, so people would be thinking eternity and, and, and where they're going to spend eternity. Uh, the irony is, he's famous now. Uh, he's got all the stuff in the museums. Yeah, Sydney put his uh, message up in lights to celebrate him. And I think he would be kind of, you know... That's nice that, they, uh, that I made a difference. But I th actually think he'd be turning in his grave to know that people are celebrating him and not his message. Because he's celebrated. His theatre's named after him. Musical's named after him. But they're not taking his message seriously. He says, I want everybody to think about where they're spending eternity. And not just wishful thinking of the future, life after death, but what are you doing about it now to make sure you've got... Certainty in where you're going. So as we work through this book of 1 John, now 1 John was written by uh, a guy called John. He was an apostle, uh, he was an apostle, a disciple of Jesus. So he hung around Jesus, heard all Jesus' teaching firsthand, and Jesus spoke a lot about eternity. He talked a lot about responding to him as Lord so that you would have certainty of going into eternity. So John... Uh, was so impacted by this message, it changed his life that he was committed to living for Christ. As with the other disciples. The other disciples, by the time this was written, this is one of the last books uh, in the New Testament that were ever written. John was an old man when he was writing this. Uh, he also had a good fix on eternity. He's also the same John who wrote the book of Revelation, where John got the vision from God about Jesus returning and taking his people into eternity to be in heaven with him. So John's been thinking a lot about eternity. All the other disciples were so convicted by living for eternity, that actually been martyred. The best church history records that we can sh get our hands on show that they were martyred. So we're living in Rome, first century, Nero, all that time, church was under heavy persecution. They never gave up. They never said, oh, this is too hard, it's not worth it. Their lives were ended short because they had their eyes fixed on eternity. Where John, uh, God just opened the door, he was the old man, the last remaining disciple, and he's writing letters to churches to say, you know, don't take this stuff for granted. Know who you are. Not just through Jesus and believing in Jesus, you're going to have your certainty fixed on, in, in eternity in heaven, but it affects who you are now. Don't be lazy, don't be apathetic, don't just let that rest. And this is the sort of picture we get. Um, he's been, I've had these two little diagrams. I started up just as a little helpful thing right in our first talk. But I've actually 
the more I use it, it's going, this is the key to understanding 1 John. He's talking about two worlds, two kingdoms. On one side, we have the light. Uh, Jesus is the light. We're in fellowship with God. In, that, in this kingdom, we have life. He uses truth a lot. We're in truth in that. We're in fellowship with God. We're in this loving relationship with God and with others in this kingdom. That's what it's like to be in God's kingdom. In contrast, on the world side, it's in darkness. Uh, this is where man is and, and the evil one reigns over darkness. There's death on that side. People are deceived. There's separation from God and there's hate on that side. There's two kingdoms going on here. We're living in earth in the same period of time, but he says, you need to know there's two kingdoms. There's two kingdoms. And as we understand these two kingdoms, we understand what John is saying and understand ourselves better. So when he goes on, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Uh, so to be in the sight of light, to have life in God's kingdom, you need to believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's more than just Jesus, a historical figure. Jesus, the one that died on the cross that's around my neck. Jesus is the Son of God, and he is the Christ, which the Christ means uh, he's Lord or he's King so he's not just another person in history, but he's king of my life. I'm going to submit to him. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to trust him with my life. So if you believe that Jesus is the Christ and that you're born of God, which means you're in the light, you're in the new kingdom. And it's in this loving relationship that you're you know, loving the Father and loving the Son, you're included in that. He goes, oh, we'll work through these quickly because this is kind of a summary. If you've been with us the first couple of weeks, uh, we're recapping a lot of this stuff. But even if you haven't been here, it's good to know where, what is John talking about with these two kingdoms. So verse 2, this is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is the love for God. Uh, this is love for God to obey his commands. And you go, aha, uh -huh. he's talking about Commands to be a Christian is not all about love and trusting Jesus. There is an element of you've got to do stuff. There's commands, there's rules, there's religion. You've got to do stuff to get you into this kingdom. That's not what he's talking about because he goes on the next verse and this is command. Uh, his commands are not burdensome for everyone born of God overcomes the world. So what we think of, if we're born into a world of sin, world of death, and we want to get into the light, it's like... We've got to clean our act up. We've got to get our morals right. We've got to overcome our sin. We've got to be good enough to get into the light. That's not what he's saying. To obey his commands means if you trust in Jesus, you're already in the light. You don't have to overcome the world so you can get into the light. Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus has made you a part of the light, the new kingdom. So you've overcome the world. He says, uh, believe in him. He says, they're not burdensome. How am I going to do it? Have I done enough? No, he says, trust in Jesus. And Jesus has done enough. So everyone born of God overcomes the world. You're not fighting the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? This is a pop quiz on the first. It's only a few verses into it. And he goes, here's the test. Here's the quiz. Have you been listening? Who is it that overcomes the world? Is it those who have been good enough? Those who have overcome their sin, overcome their, their morals, they're good people. No. Trusting Jesus. Trusting Jesus. He is the one that has overcome the world. Uh, only those who believe in Jesus comes to the world. 
Now, often we get tempted to think that Christians are no real different to other people. That's not what John's... John's saying we're radically different when you see these two kingdoms. And we come up with little things that help us to soften the blow that Christianity is radically different to the world. Things like uh, nice bumper stickers, or even in America they have number plates. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Now, understand what they're trying to do. You know, we're, just, we're not perfect, we're sinners. You know, we're not, we haven't got our morals completely all together. But the difference is between us and, and those who don't believe in Jesus is we're forgiven. Those who are forgiven are in the kingdom of the light. Now, the fact that it says we're just forgiven, it's kind of going, yeah, it softens the blow. But what John is saying, you don't realise how radically different you are in Jesus. You're in a whole new kingdom. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of life, kingdom of truth, kingdom of fellowship, kingdom of love. Like this is very different to the world. Jesus has made you very different. We're not just forgiven. It's part of the process. But we're radically, radically changed by Jesus. If Jesus died, so we're just a little bit different. His death was a waste of time. He died, his death made us hugely different. Very different worlds. So in our world, we've had this shift in society where we want to make everybody the same because we don't want anybody to be singled out or isolated or felt bad. Uh, so we start to use language differently. You can't address people uh, as somebody who's different. You've got to talk about people as if they're the same. You can't say, who was preaching today? Oh, it was the fat preacher, as opposed to the skinny preacher. You can't use that sort of language. It makes me feel bad. The Commonwealth... <laughs> I'm, do... I'm working on it, right? Um... <laughs> I was interested in the Commonwealth Games. They brought in some of the Paralympic events. Uh, but they didn't talk about people's disabilities. Never. They didn't say, oh, the guy in the wheelchair is doing this. It, it was the category of race that they're doing. Because we don't want to you know, highlight their disability. We don't want to highlight their differences. So we don't talk about people's differences anymore. Their colour, their race. It, we're just talking to that person. Uh, we need to address people differently. The same thing is going on with... Beliefs, religions, the society wants to say, to take it a step further, that we're all equal, we're all the same, none can say they've got the truth, none can say they're better than anyone else. Uh, we don't want to point out any differences because you know, we're all even, we're all equal. Everybody's got a right to truth, whatever they believe is the truth. So we get a church, a church that comes up... Uh, yeah, this is a registered uh, proper church. The Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster uh, has a number of followers. Uh, they're a registered church. Now, you can't bag them out because they've got equal right just as us to say they believe things, so we can't say they're different or they're wrong or they're idiots. Uh, you can't say that because society. To the extent... Uh, I haven't got a proper photo of this, but... Um, They've got a right, uh, you know when you go to get your licence and you've got to have a photo and you go there and they say, no, you're not allowed to smile, you've got to take your hat off, you've just got to look there. They've got a right. If you're a member of the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, uh, you have the right to wear a spaghetti colon on your head at all times. So if you go to get your photo taken, they can't say, please take off your hat. You say, no, it's my religious right to wear a spaghetti col um, colander on my head. And they get serious photos on their licence with you can't tell them no. That, they might not realise they're different. So we're all the same. 
We're all the same. Now, I love the, um, what uh, happened yesterday at the wedding, the royal wedding. We all saw that, right? I've got to confess, I watched it. I didn't watch it all. I just turned on the telly about 4 p.m. and watched it. I didn't watch it all. But I love the bit how politically incorrect the royal wedding is, that it hasn't sort of you know, moved on with society, but it kept some particular structure. One thing that amused me is when the guests come in for the wedding. I don't know whether you noticed this. Um, I pointed out to me, so that's the only reason I noticed it. But you go in in order of importance. So if you're just um, invited just out of politeness, you actually have to be there earlier. You have to come, you have to line up, you have to show them your invite, and you get the furthest seat. If you're reasonably important, like a celebrity... Uh, you can come a little bit later. So you come, um, you still have to show uh, your invitation. You can't just, you don't know who I am. You can't do that. You've got to show the invitation. You walk in. Then some of the, the royals who are distant relatives will come in next. Then the closer relatives, Charles and Camilla. Then the queen comes in last. Order is really important. What she's saying is, or what she's saying, but what the royals are saying, it does matter who you are and you need to know your place. You can't be just a celebrity and walk, expect to walk in last and get the attention. The queen is the only one who gets the attention. Your place matters is what royalty is saying. So politically incorrect. But see, this is what John is saying. You need to understand your differences. In fact, what he's saying is these two kingdoms aren't even close. If you believe in Jesus, you're radically different from the world. It's so different. Don't let the world try and convince you, yeah, we're all the same, we're all believing the same truth, you're entitled to this. You know, we are radically different to the world through Jesus Christ. How that plays out uh, is often when, it, when we start hearing it over and over again, we've got to watch our language, the way we refer to people in society, uh, it filters into our belief system in our church. Uh, one example is um, the Bible talks about if you're a Christian and you're looking for somebody to marry, that you should be looking for a Christian partner, that that's really important. Now, the world will tell you, well, yeah, that's all the religious rules. You're not restrained by rules anymore. They just oppress you. That's bad. Just marry whoever you want. Love conquers all, that sort of language. And we sort of attempted to lose the importance of what it means to marry a Christian. Until you see what John's saying. Now, if you're on this side, you follow Jesus, you're walking in the light, you're in fellowship with God, and you marry someone who's not a Christian, they're very different people. They're going to hold to very different values, even very different views on eternity. He says, how is eternity going to shape you? You are a very different person. Let it shape who you are now. And the choices that you make now are really important. He says, do that. But he also goes on to talk about how that affects who we are now, but also the significance of this for all of eternity. Uh, he goes on in verse 14. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony sent to him. Oh, I should say, I did, I did skip some hard verses. There were some verses about uh, Jesus' testimony that it was the, light, uh, the, the spirit, the water and the blood. I'm not going to spend heaps of time on that, but basically if, if you try not to read too much into that because we're very, in our English, very um, literal, 
John was a Greek. He's writing with a Greek thing. They use a lot of philosophical terms. A lot of it can be summarised in just saying, Jesus came not just in spirit, but he came in flesh. He didn't just come in flesh, but he came in spirit as well. He, he is the Son of God coming, and he is the testimony of God. John says something very interesting. When Jesus was on the cross and the, the soldier came and wanted to make sure he was dead, he's put his spear in the side, and he said uh, that water and blood come out of his side. Funny little detail to mention. None of the other gospel writers mention that. But it's talking about that he was literally with us. We touched him. We spoke to him. He's God's witness. He's God's testimony was with us. But also, he is the son of God, his spirit as well. And these uh, testify to the message that Jesus is truly the Christ. He's truly the Lord. So now he goes on to say, anyone who believes in the son of God has this testimony in his heart. They believe Jesus is truly the son of God. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. And he has not believed the testimony of God, uh, the God God has given about his son. Now, there's this whole thing about calling each other liars, where, you know, who's the liar? If they don't believe what we believe, if they come up with uh, some other story, you know, they're lying, or is God lying about the testimony too? C.S. Lewis was a guy that wrote lots of stuff, uh, lots of books, lots of literature. The Narnia Chronicles was one of his uh, more popular works in society the last few years. He came up with this thing. He was a Christian man and he, he said, you've got to believe something about Jesus. Whether you call him your Lord or not, you've got to believe something about him. Was he a liar, a lunatic or Lord? That Jesus did come, he come in the flesh uh, to testify about Jesus. He come in spirit, he, he was with us. What do you think of that? So even if we're a Christian or not a Christian, you've got to address the question, what do we think of Jesus? Was he just a liar? He made a whole bunch of claims that he couldn't back up. Was he a lunatic? He was making such radical claims that he was off his head. Or is he truly Lord, that he was actually telling the truth and that we should really respond to him as Lord? See, this is the question that's going to dictate where you spend eternity. It's how you understand who Jesus is, liar, lunatic or Lord. Uh, how this plays out in eternity, this is his testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. You're on this side. He who does not have the son does not have life. You're still in darkness if you don't have Jesus. You're still on that side. See, it's important what you see about Jesus. It not only dictates who we are now but who, where we spend eternity. It's the difference between uh, spending Eternity with, in, with God in heaven uh, and hell. John doesn't use the word hell, but he's saying you're living in darkness and in death. They're worlds apart, but it all depends on your idea of who Jesus is. Who is he? Now, there's two ways to respond to this. See, if we say, actually, Jesus is Lord and I have trusted him, what John is saying is you need to know you know when you trust in Jesus, you know you have certainty of spending eternity with him. You know you have life. And this gives us such great assurance to know that if I fail tomorrow, if I stuff up, if I'm not loving, if I, you know, sin, I'm not going to be kicked out because I know I'm safe with Jesus. I need to keep coming back to Jesus for eternity. I also know if life gets hard when living here, 
uh, I live under persecution, nothing's going right. I'm always feeling bad about myself. I seem to get, get the rough end of the deal all the time. Cling to Jesus because you've got eternity inside. Believe in Jesus, you've got eternity. But also, what he's saying here challenges us, even if we're, we're here today and we're not sure about who Jesus is. He's not saying you should shut your doors as a church and not let people in to hear about you. No, he's saying, come in. I invite you in to hear the story about Jesus. But actually think about it, consider about it. Jesus is not some uh, guru with some crazy teaching. He's actually somebody who's speaking the truth and he lived it out to the point where he lived it out in love so much that when he went to the cross, God showed that he was speaking the truth by letting him die. God just didn't say, oh, I'm going to do a miracle and just lift him off the cross. He can't kill him that easy. And he let his son die to raise a dead man. To raise him after three days. Who does that? Only God can do that. Weigh this up. Because what John is saying, how are you going to spend eternity? What you're believing in Jesus uh, is important for that. And I hope that people can come here. I hope that uh, we can hear the message of Jesus. We want to uh, say why we believe in Jesus. But we, all, we also want people to, to experience the difference God makes in our lives. That what you're seeing here is a whole bunch of people that have had their lives transformed by Jesus. So you can actually see his work in action. That's what we're on about as a church. That we've got a destiny in eternity and we want others to see it too. But John also pulls us back. He also says, actually, there is a thing that we can do because sometimes, sometimes we get really frustrated that there are other people who don't know. They're living in darkness, whether they're family members, whether they're friends. They don't know Jesus. And we feel frustrated, even if they're close to us. And I know what it feels like to go, why don't they understand? Why aren't they believing? If I could just believe for them, if I could just get them over the line, I would do that. And you feel helpless in saying, why can't they come into the light? Well, John says you can do something. It's not just all helplessness. You can do something. And he goes on, this is how Jesus changes who you are now, and this is how you can help your friends. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. You know that. This is a confidence we have in approaching God. See, it's not just this kingdom thing, it's a relational thing. And we can have confidence in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. He's saying, you've got this unique relationship. Not just, we think of in heaven, we're going to hang out with Jesus and that's going to be awesome. He says, no, you've got this relationship through Jesus. You've got this amazing intimacy with God now. Here's the scenario. If we had God himself in person, physically, come to us for church this morning, and he says, look, I want to talk to each of us as a congregation. Um, and we set up a little room for him, whether it's on the side, probably a nicer lounge room, uh, you know, bring out the tea and coffee or whatever God drinks, uh, to say, look, let's, let's talk. And we go and sit with God. And we're invited to call God, our Father God, Dad. Jesus taught us that. If you're in that relationship, you can call God dad so we go in to meet with our heavenly dad and god says to you you know i'm inviting you here today to ask me anything ask me anything 
I'm going to hear what your request and I'm going to answer your, your request. What would you pray for? What would you pray for? What would you ask for? Now, I know a whole lot of you getting all um, righteous on me and going, oh, world peace, uh, Middle East and all those countries and famines and all that sort of stuff. But what are the things you pray for now? What things have you been praying for? What things have you been asking God for this week? Maybe we haven't been asking God for anything. God invites us to, but sometimes we just get so busy in life we don't ask him for anything. I didn't arrange this with Angus earlier when he prayed and he had that inviting us all to pray to ourselves in that quiet time. But what, what sort of things did you pray for then? Just, we have this amazing access to God, the God that controls the universe, the God with awesome power. He invites us to pray to him, to ask him. And he says, I'm going to hear your prayer and I'm going to answer your prayer. Now we should say the way God answers prayer is not always the way we want it answered. But he will answer our prayers. So what sort of things should we pray for? What sort of things uh, does God want us to come to him about? Well, John's going to tell us. He goes on to say, the idea of Jesus not only changes who we are now, but also changes us for eternity and changes others for eternity as well. Because he goes on to say, if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he shall pray and God will give him life. So he's saying, this is what you should pray for. Pray for your brothers. Pray for them. God's going to hear their prayers. He's going to answer your prayers. Now, we can't go in that too far, this too far further because there's an elephant in this room. What is this sin that does not lead to death? We need to just spend a minute to talk about this one because he's going to go on the following verses. There's also sins that do not lead to death and there's some sins that lead to death. What is this thing? Okay, how are we going to think this through? We're reading 1 John. He's been telling us about these two kingdoms. We want to think morality. What, what would I do? I need to know this sin that if I'm in the light and if I do this one sin, even if I don't know, I'm going to slide into darkness. I'm going to slide into death. And we think morals and works and legalism and rules. We slide into that because that's our default. But what John is saying, it's not like that at all. Remember who's in the light? Not those who are righteous and perfect, but those who believe in Jesus. Who's in darkness? Who don't believe in Jesus. So the sin that does not lead to death, what he's saying is, you know what, we're still in this earth, you still pinch me, you still cut me, I still bleed, I still feel pain, I'm, I'm still of the earthly nature, I stuff up and I do sin. The difference is, if I'm in the light and I sin, uh, John's already talked about earlier about confessing your sins to Jesus, letting uh, Jesus deal with your sin on the cross, that you stay in the light, you stay in relationship, you stay in life. So cling to Jesus. We will sin. What John is saying, we should pray for each other. If you see each other sin, pray about it. And what will God do? He will keep us. He will protect us. He will hold us tight. But there is a sin that does lead to death. Now, this is a little bit tricky one because it's, we read it. This is the NIV we're using, which is um, a great readable version of the Bible. But where it says there is a sin that leads to death, John's Greek, he's writing in ancient Greek in the first century. This, there is a sin or there is sin, is a little bit ambiguous. You, you could translate it either way. NIV's gone, there is a sin that leads to death. And we want to know, what is that one singular sin? Most scholars actually agree that it should be translated, there is sin that leads to death. Fits a whole lot better. 
because what is the sin that leads to death? It's actually because you're on this side. You haven't got Jesus to save you. Whatever you do is going to lead to death because it's a description of who you are. You're living in sin. This is a description of who you are when you're trusting Jesus. You're living forgiven and righteous in the life. So let's not think, it's not meant to be thinking what is the sin. It actually comes back to who's in the light, who's believing in Jesus and who's not believing in Jesus. So this makes sense then when we get back to if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, we're praying for our brother on this side. He's believing in Jesus, but he's stumbled. Pray for him. Pray for him. And God will give him life. God will protect him in that circumstance. He goes on to say, we know, it's like we know he's saying this, all this stuff that we know. We know when we come to the Father, he will hear us. We know he will answer our prayers. We know we have this relationship that we can come to him. Now he says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe. So we know we're still weak. We will sin, but we don't like sin. This is a description of who we are now. We want to live a life that pleases Jesus. We want to deal with our sin. We're not going to be perfect and righteous, but we're going to pray for each other that we take our sin seriously. And the one who was born of God, Jesus, gives him life. And the evil one cannot harm him. So you've got Jesus on this side protecting us. You've got the evil one on this side trying to deceive people, keep them away from Jesus. He goes on to say, we know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the, the control of the evil one. You know how radically different we are when we believe in Jesus? How safe we are when we believe in Jesus? We need that assurance. We need to make sure we keep coming back to Jesus, dealing with our sin, confessing our sin to him, letting him deal with it. But we need to continually watch ourselves dealing with our sin. But this also points out... I don't know how you're feeling. If we're on this, if you're today and you believe in Jesus, you're on this side, and you know lots of people who don't believe in Jesus, don't take him seriously, they're still living in darkness. They're living in death and not light. It does put a burden on your heart, doesn't it? What do we do about that? It's almost like uh, in the Titanic, you've got people, the scene in Titanic, the movie, in the lifeboat, and some people are in the lifeboat and they've got seats there and they get pushed out. They're safe, they're dry. And then you get people who just jump into the water. The water's freezing water. It's only a matter of time before they either drown or they, they freeze to death. It's kind of like we're on this side, but yet we can see people on this side. What are we going to do about that? We want them to see the light. So I think our primary responsibility is to pray for each other and God will, will hold us in the palm of his hands. He will keep us tight and keep us safe. But we also want to pray for those who don't know him. Don't know him. Mission is very important to see those come into the kingdom. The first thing we need to do is to pray. We're invited to pray. We're invited to ask our Father God. And we wanted to ask God that he would use us in the process through conversations, through our love, through our actions, through our church, that people would see what he's doing, that he is real, and that they would come. Because the two kingdoms gives us assurance, but breaks our heart for those who don't. To me, there's three things we need to take away from this passage this morning. The first one is to realise what we do has eternal significance. We don't just come and do church 
It's kind of like the way to fill in our Sunday morning. We don't just do church. What we're doing has eternal significance. As we point each other to Jesus, as we encourage each other to stay faithful because eternity is just around the corner for us. So what we do is important, eternally important, but not just church. What you do in your workplace, what you do at home, what you do raising your kids is eternally important. God's put you in a privileged position knowing Jesus that you're in a relationship with him. You can pray to the Father that he will answer your prayers, that we can reach out to others, that we can point others to Jesus, point others to eternity. That's what it looks like to be shaped by Jesus. That's what the Arthur Stace story does. He goes, I'm not just going to go to work and continue my daily... I want others to see what eternity is all about. What we're doing has eternal significance. The second thing is, I only got three things. Second thing is, prayer moves the hands that moves the world. We've talked about this before in church. But because we've got this amazing access to the Father God, it just makes prayer even more important, doesn't it? That He will listen to us. He invites us to come and He invites us to make requests. He will hear us, He will answer our prayers. So that makes prayer particularly important. Not just what we do as we pray corporately, what we pray individually. Prayer is important for us as a church, whether you're involved in growth groups where we pray for each other individually. Prayer is important uh, before church. A team of prayers goes up uh, in the top room and prays. Anyone's invited to go to that prayer group. But do you know you've been prayed for this morning? Whether you were running after kids, running late, just running hectic this morning. You were being prayed for this morning that you would come here and you would draw near to God, that God would speak to you this morning. God answers his prayers, we're told. Have you heard God this morning? But we pray that every week that people would come and hear and experience his love and grow in his love. Prayer is particularly important. The other thing about prayer that we, I find really helpful and reminds me to pray, because you know, I, I too get caught up in, in life, is we have prayer cards. They're at the information desk. They're just business-sized cards. They just go one, two, three, pray once a day, for two minutes, for three people. Uh, so Ben shared, he puts it on his mirror and prays while he's brushing his teeth once a day for two minutes for three people. But it's that, that routine. We've, we've invited to come to God to pray about those things. I find a great reminder, I have mine on my computer screen, that we can pray. So prayer is particularly important because it moves the hand, it moves the world. We direct access to God. The last thing is as a church this motivates us to love our community. And I've put up the 1%. Because we have this 1% vision uh, to make and grow disciples. We want to see people come into the kingdom and grow in their love of God and their walk with God and their faith. We want them to finish the race well so they move into eternity. But we want to just not just do this for you know, us, maybe a friend or two. We want to see us impact our whole community around us. So there's over 100,000 people live within less than 10 minutes of this church on a Sunday morning. We want to pray to God, God, can you change the hearts of 1%? 1%'s pretty small when you put it that way. But when we're talking 1,000 people, we started praying this when we were about a church of 50 people. We go, oh yeah, nice dream. But God's opening the doors People are coming, people are growing, people are being transformed by God. God's opening the doors, he's making this happen. So we have confidence that God answers our prayers, that what we're doing has eternal significance and we're going to make the most of our time. We don't just do church, do playgroup, do morning tea, do youth. We actually want to see, see us make disciples and grow disciples. 
and see more people come into that kingdom of light. I want to pray uh, in a moment that we do cling to the truth of Jesus Christ, that we do realise how significant it is to trust in him, not just for us, but for our whole community, that we know him, that it has got eternal significance. Remember, if you want to talk to me about membership, because this is who we are and what we're trying to be, uh, please grab me or just leave your name at the info desk. Uh, I'll follow you up during the week. Let me pray now. Dear Father, I do thank you for your great love for us that we never deserved to come into your kingdom. We never deserved your love. But us as sinners with rotten hearts, you reached out to us. You come into the darkness. You come into the sinful world in Jesus. You testified that you are the, the only way to find life. And Lord, you showed us that you truly are God through your death, through your resurrection, your amazing love for us. Lord, let us cling to the truth. The truth, if we trust in him, we will be held uh, tight in your hands for all of eternity. Lord, we just pray that as a church, that we would not just uh, rejoice in that fact for us, but we would, that we would long to see our friends, our neighbours, our family know you as well. well. It means nothing for us to be a big church, but it means significant more, significantly more that we see a lot more people coming to your kingdom. Lord, that's what we want. So Lord, we pray for, uh, that you would use us to reach our community, that at Southside we'd be known as a Jesus church, that were people transformed by him, people have life through him, and are people that cling to him. So Lord, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.